Hey everybody, what's going on? The Field Crossover Podcast is sponsored by 511 Tactical. Everything 511 makes is built by working closely with the most demanding professionals in the field. Whether you're LEO, military, first responder, or just live an active lifestyle, 511 has everything you need, whether it's from bags to clothing to footwear to any range gear you need, 511 has you covered. You know, one of my favorite things about 511 is their Defender Flex jeans. Uh, me being a bigger kind of guy, I like to have my flex fit. So when I'm at the range, I'm overlanding or I'm outdoors doing anything, I'm able to feel comfortable in these jeans and they go all day. You know, Mike's favorite uh, pants are the Apex pants. He's probably wearing them right now on the road. Uh, shout out to Mike, wherever you're at right now. So check out 511tactical.com. We have a coupon code. It's FIELD15, F-I-E-L-D-1-5. That is F-I-E-L-D-1-5. Check them out. They also have a great variety of bags. So anything from range bags to your everyday carry bag, 511 has you covered. Once again, the coupon code is FIELD15, and you can find them at 511tactical.com. Our next sponsor is Killcliff. Killcliff is every uh, is an energy drink company. They have three different types of energy drinks. You know, they have their Ignite. It's kind of like their pre-workout energy drink. They have their Endure. So when you're working out and you're sweating, you want to replace those carbohydrates or replace whatever you, you lost, you're going to drink that Endure. And then when you're done, all done with your workout, they have a, a recover drink, which is uh, like it's full of electrolytes, B vitamins, 25 uh, milligrams of caffeine. So it just kind of get you get you going at the end of the workout, keeps you recovered. We finally got in the Kill Cliff CBD. The flavor is called Orange Kush, and it has about 25 milligrams of CBD, also with the with the caffeine. So you know it helps you recover and it relieves some of that pain that you have. If you want to go to a natural uh, drink, try the Kill Cliff CBD, 25 milligrams. We also have a coupon code for Killcliff. It is survival ten, survival one zero. And another thing we like about Killcliff is that you know they're part of the Navy SEAL Foundation. Us, we at Field Cross Survival, being a veteran-owned company, we're always supporting veterans and anything that they do. So check them out at you know the Navy SEAL Foundation, uh, Killcliff.com. Check them out. Use survival ten, save ten percent at checkout. Our next sponsor is. Triarch Weapon Systems. You can find them at triarchsystems.com. Uh, you know, use them for everything you need from your carbines, your rifle, Glock builds. They have a 1911 that they custom build. You can either build your own or you can buy them pre-built. Myself, Raul, and Mike got our carbines built by them, and they are solid carbines. Thousands of rounds have gone through our carbines, and not one failure yet. I don't even think they're going to fail because they're so solid to build. I stand behind it. I, I love it. It's a great rifle, great carbines, and they're just a great company. So check them out at triarchsystems.com. We do have a coupon code for them. It's one word. It's Fieldcraft, F-I-E-L-D-C-R-A-F-T. Saves you 5% on your build. That's significant when you're talking about gun builds. So check them out, triarchsystems.com. Our next and final sponsor is valleyfoodstorage.com. Have peace of mind knowing you'll be prepared with clean and nutritious freeze-dried food that's packed with full of fuel needed to keep you going in any survival situation. Every ingredient they use is 100% clean. I'm talking no GMOs, no fillers, no preservatives, no artificial ingredients ever, while still maintaining a 25-year shelf life. 
25 years is a long time to have food storage and it's a great company. You know, all you do is add hot water and you'll have a meal that tastes great and is nutritious without all the junk. So I'm telling you, we got some samples. We ordered our, our, uh, our meals. There is no aftertaste. It's a great flavor, great nutrition. I mean, everything you need to know about Valley, Valley Food Storage, check them out at valleyfoodstores.com. We have a special offer with them. It is text FIELDCRAFT to 29071, and that will save you 20% off your first order. That's text FIELDCRAFT to 29071 for 20% off your first order. 20% off is a lot. So take advantage of that. You know, get some food storage because you're going to need it. You never know. Today's guest is Joe Borowski. He is the VP of Operations Innovations for Valley Food Storage. So we're going to go over, you know, what what to look for, what to buy, things like that, kind of going over all survival food, how to prepare it. Uh, we go over canning, dehydration, gardening. So anything we talk about is food related for survival food. It's going to be in this episode. So please enjoy. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. I'm your host, George. And today we have Joe Borowski from Valley Food Storage. Uh, hey Joe, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks. Hey, so could you just give the listeners a, just a quick background of, you know, what you do and kind of how you came into the food kind of the food storage industry? Yeah, absolutely. So um, Valley Food Storage has been around for a little while, but um, we've uh, you know recently taken on some new ownership about a year and a half ago. And that's given us the ability to do some pretty cool uh, new things uh, around food and kind of take on a new little edge on the way that we fit into the market. And the way that we see it is there's an opportunity in the market today for not just your average survival food, but the kind of food you'd want to eat every day anyways, with a twist that if you have to survive, you need to have the type of fuel and nutrients that are going to allow you to do so uh, in the best possible way. So we're taking a deeper look at the nutrition inside of food and a deeper look at the type of people who are prepared individuals and the type of needs that they have, meaning anything from medical dietary needs um, on down, and then helping to frame food that is going to be the kind of food that they need to to survive when they need it. Oh, okay, good. So we talk about like food storage and, and, and prepping and all that stuff. What are kind of like, how do you see kind of, we can start with like, what are some of the mistakes people make when they're kind of investing in kind of a food storage or long-term food? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think there's a few things that we see as a pattern when people say, hey, what are the things that, that I, should, I should be concerned with before I start investing in food? You know, the first one I would, I would really point out would be um, be careful buying food instead of buying fuel, if that resonates with you. We see a lot of people that buy um, food and they buy it by maybe the serving or something like that. Right. Uh, you know, and, the, and the, the ask I always say to everybody is, so which organization regulates serving size, right? Is it the FDA? Is it the USDA? Um, and the answer is nobody regulates serving size. So every food company can put any serving size they want on any kind of food. So when we start buying things by the serving size, um, it, can, it can easily misguide us, right? Mm-hmm. There are people in the long-term food storage market that sell food 
And I've done the math on it. Some of their serving sizes would take over 35 servings a day to get to 2,000 calories. Right. Um, you know, when you get into something like that, if you eat if you eat four servings of their food a day, you, you'll die, man. You know. <laughs> yeah, because that's how I look at my like. I kind of when I'm looking at serving sizes, I kind of look at myself. I'm I'm six three. I'm about two fifty, two fifty five right now, mm-hmm. and I'm like I'm going to eat more than the average person eats. So like I'm like these serving sizes cannot be that accurate because. I'll even like when I, when I was like dieting and trying to like lose some weight, I'm like, okay, let me get the serving size. I'll do the serving size. I'll measure it out and see what it does. And I, I was starving. I mean, it was literally, <laughs> I am so hungry still. And so I can tell like, you know, the serving size is like, it's like a suggested thing. You know what I mean? Like yeah. A, so serving, serving sizes for the most part across the industry and in, in true transparency, I will say Valley food is not an exception to that. Meaning that our, it, it's going to take more than, then three servings a day of our food for a person of your size to, to stay, uh, to have the nutrition you need, right? Right. On average, I would look at saying that the average company, when I did all the math on all the competitors that are out there, um, they're usually giving you closer to what you would need for uh, an adolescent to be able to survive for a serving, mm-hmm. um, meaning that you're probably the average a uh, woman is going to need about six servings a day. The average man's going to need probably about eight servings a day, depending on where you're at in the market. Mm-hmm. So it, as a whole, I just wouldn't buy on serving that much. I would buy on fuel. Our body burns calories. It doesn't burn servings, right? Right. So um, I always think of it as there's different types of fuel that are out there. Just like for our car, you could need kerosene, diesel, gasoline, right? There's all different kinds of fuels. And, to, and our body's fuel is calories, and within that, there are some calories that are better than others. Think of it like grades of fuel, right? Protein, fat, carbohydrates, and sugars are the ways that we build calories. And we're talking about macronutrients. Um, so balancing those things out, balancing out the types of fuel. So find out what you're paying per calorie. Find out what you're paying per gram of protein, if that's what you're going for. Um, and then balance everything out so that maybe you're two-thirds carbohydrates at the most, which wouldn't be comp- – terrible in a survival situation. Um, but you don't want it to be, you know, 80% carbohydrates as your, as your caloric intake, right? Mm-hmm. Or 60% carbohydrates and 20% sugars. Those are going to be a really bad upside down kind of food pyramid for you. Okay. Interesting. Uh, so, so I'm like, what have you, like, what would you like for the person that's buying like, f- uh, food storage for the first time, they want to buy the dehydrated meals or the uh, freeze-dried meals like what what's some of the things they need to know before they start buying all these meals and, and getting things yeah. that they don't know that they need or they don't need or think you know something like that yeah i think you're starting from a great place here you know understanding the basics between dehydration and freeze-dried right there's a lot of different ways i always tell people you want to build a family food plan emergency food plan whatever you want to call it and you need to base that plan when you get started based upon what you think your most likely emergency is. Uh, I would always teach people who are getting started in food planning, start a food plan for uh, whatever the most likely emergency is in your area. Even though if that's not the most likely scenario for food, the most likely scenario you'll ever need food is loss of an income, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Statistically, if if you're in a dual income household, there's a 50% chance that you'll lose one of those incomes during the course of your lives together, right? So if you're sitting in your house and you've got a house on the right and a house on the left and a house across the street, there's a good chance that two of those four houses are going to lose an income at some point. 
so when I start thinking about, all right, I need to start having some food on hand, enough food so that if crap goes sideways and I lose a job, I now don't have to decide between paying my mortgage and eating. So I always try to make sure to teach people, try to get to that point of having, you know, three months of food on hand. You should be able to find another job in three months, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and maybe you don't need all of the, maybe you need one month of food you weave in over the course of three months, but we try to get there. So try to start about, start thinking about what you want to plan for. If it's a natural disaster, that's a very common one then um, what are the natural disasters in your areas? And there's really two kinds of natural disasters you need to focus about, right? There's natural disasters that hit without warning, um, earthquakes, fires, right? House fires, right. Uh, torna- tornadoes, those things happen without warning. And uh, there's the ones where I need to plan on disasters where I have warning. Uh, this could be a forest fire or a hurricane, things I can get out of the way of. Uh, because you're going to want different kinds of food potentially for whether I need to grab it and go in my car mm-hmm. or whether, um, and if I think planning about say house fires, you know, I've, I've had the unfortunate circumstances where my house has burnt down in my life. Right. Mm-hmm. And when that, when that happens, if all of your food was in your house, you're, you're kind of SOL now, right? Right. Yeah. You, you, now, you, so depending on the type of thing that you're planning for depends on what you do. Am I caching a lot of food in one place because I need to wait something out? Am I getting food that's ready to go so I can run if I need to? Or am I caching food in a couple different areas? Like for me, for instance, given my background and my history, I have, a gr- I have food in my house that I keep for my family for an emergency. I also go out and buy some food to keep in my parents' house and my in-laws' house. Smart, that smart. way, you know, that way if – if crap goes sideways and I lose my main food supply here, mm-hmm. I've got some other places to go in different cities that are nearby where I can get to it. And if it doesn't and crap goes bad for them, I feel a little better about them being prepared even though they didn't, right? Because they've got my right. stuff there. They and they have something it. to like hold them out for a while. And Yeah, right? Just a yeah. little bit. I mean, it's a 72-hour kit even. It doesn't need to be anything crazy, but just a little something to, to go by. So I guess that's where I would advise is think through what your – preparing for right and I, I think a lot of times i mean people talk about being prepared with you know their you know extra fuel or a tourniquet or like med supplies but you won't it's you, you don't hear about food storage or you don't hear about this i mean some people do but it's not as predominant as you know med supplies and water and mm-hmm. stuff like that so would you recommend like a, a mixture of like the like uh the, the freeze-dried food and then like canning and kind of uh, having those different uh, kind of f- food storages available. So just in case, you know, you okay, you have your dry food, but then you also have your canned food kind of to mix it up and get the different nutrients and calories, like how we were talking, like the percentages of uh, your protein, sugars, and carbs. Yeah, yeah. So you're talking to a guy that works for a freeze-dried food company. So let me, let me, <laughs> let me, let me enter in, but I'm going to say you're totally right. Uh, I don't store just freeze-dried food in my house, right? right? That, I think that it's way too expensive to do. And there's no reason to do that. So I build, again, when I think of a family food, emergency food plan, it starts with what I grow in my garden. Mm-hmm. Um, what I grow in my garden, I have fresh food. Fresh food's going to last me 24, 36 hours when I grab it to be truly fresh and maybe a week for some of it. If it's my squash and stuff like that, I can mm-hmm. keep it a couple weeks. Past that, I've got to start preserving it. And I can preserve it by freezing it. That's great. Um, freezing it is, is the best way to maintain the nutrients in it. Uh, but it also, if I don't preserve it correctly in the freezer, I'll get freezer burn and I'll, I'll start to lose this nutrients. Or 
it takes a lot of energy to keep it frozen. Uh, so that, you know, there, it's just downsides too. Mm-hmm. So then we start pickling things. We pickle things um, or smoke things. Pickling things is great. I've got a ton. I keep about 10% of my food on hand refrigerated, 10% fresh. I keep about 10% frozen. And then I keep about 10% in canning, meaning I went to the store and bought one extra can of peas, one extra can of corn. Uh, I build it that way. And then about 10% is dehydrated. Those are really my rice, uh, legumes, you know, peas, Mm -hmm. uh, stuff like that, barley. Uh, I keep that as about 10% of my stock dehydrated. That stuff will last you 10 years if you keep it right. Some people say 20 even, and I believe them. I I don't have anything to the contrary, but um, but you just got to take care of everything. So now we're building up. I've got, you know, 10, 10, 10, you're building that up. And then uh, some, you know, smoke stuff as well too, just because that's, it's a flavor I like. I try to keep it to a minimal because of some of the chemicals that come out of the smoke when you begin to char meats and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So you want to balance that stuff out, everything in moderation. And then the balance of my long-term f- food storage is going to be freeze-dried because of the shelf life. Because uh, everything else I mentioned, dehydrated, you can get some things that'll go up to 10 years. But freeze-dried, you're really going to be able to push that 25-year mark, uh, which means I don't have to cycle through it as fast, which uh, means I can accumulate it over a longer period of time. Right. So the so your Valley Food Storage meals, are they obviously not in cans, but are they in like a, a special, uh, like a bag? And like, what does that bag consist of? And then like, what is... Like, how does it last 25 years? Because I, we, because you guys sent us some samples and uh, mm-hmm. packaging is amazing. And uh, it, it, and I read the ingredients and there's no added like uh, preservatives. There's no added anything added. It's all, I mean, I have in front of me the Irish pub cheddar potato soup and it has mm-hmm. coconut cream, cornstarch, potato flakes, cheese sauce, potato, di- diced potatoes, non fat milk. Butter powder, chicken. I mean, there's there's nothing that says like those words you can't uh, you know pronounce on the back of a you know on a on a food packet. So how do you guys keep those yep. without adding preservatives, without giving any trade secrets away? But how do you keep it that long for 25 years? No, I and, and honestly, there, there, there's there's no trade secret there. I I make sure whenever we make food, I give it to my kid, my my two older kids, right, are, are eight and nine years old. If they can't read the back of it, we don't do it, right? Just, mm-hmm. just keep it simple. Oh, yeah. if, if, it, if, my if my eight-year-old can't pronounce it, I probably don't want it in his body. Uh, so that's kind of my take on it. But um, it's freeze-drying. So freeze-drying, if, if you you tell me if I get too nerdy here, right? Oh, I, no, I, go, go, down a, I go down a rabbit hole. Let's right. nerd out. I go down a rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, you know, the science of freeze drying is so cool because we, we talked about freezing, keeping stuff in your freezer, and it is by far one of the best ways to keep stuff. The problem is that in your freezer, um, the stuff start the, the moisture within the food starts to sublimate, which is a fancy word that means it goes directly from a solid form into a gas form, skipping a liquid state. And as it does that, as soon as it escapes, the gas then freezes on the outside and it creates like a frost on the outside. And that frost begins to um, degradate the nutrients that are in that food. So you'll freeze something as long as it doesn't have frostbite on it, frostburn on it, freezer burn on it, whatever you want to call Mm -hmm. it. As long as it doesn't have that, you're probably keeping 95% of all the nutrients in there, which is pretty awesome. Once it starts to get that, it dips down. You get into the 70s of nutrients. So the trick really is how do we stop that freezer burn from happening? And the trick to it is we freeze it at room temperature which blew my mind the first time I heard that. I'm like, how the heck does that happen? Yeah. It, 
so we we put food into the freeze dryer and then we remove the atmosphere. We get rid of all of the pressure on the food. And when you get rid of all the pressure, the actual temperature to freeze most food is going to be at or near that 50 degree mark. Um, so maybe a little colder than what your average room temperature is, but you get where I'm going on it. Right. We didn't have to super freeze it. And because we're siphoning off all the air as that freezing process is happening and we're not taking it to really terrible temperatures, we're able to preserve 98% of all the nutrients in the food without any preservatives. And because we've evacuated almost all of the moisture in it, it can no longer go through that process where it's going to deteriorate in the bag. So it's very, very small amounts of moisture left in it without the preservatives. So then mm. we got to get it into a bag and seal it in fast. Right. So from the time that we do that, from the time that it comes out of that, we try to keep it in under 15 minutes between the time it comes out of that to the time we've got it sealed into a bulk bag um, to our packaging center. And then from the packaging center, once that bulk bag is open, it gets 15 minutes to get into these, these gusseted Mylar bags. The Mylar bags are the same material they use in the space station, right? Right. Yeah. They, are, they, they will withstand anything. That so, and those are the space blankets, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I use those things. I take them. I have them everywhere, right? Yep. I, don't, I know they're so cheap. I just shove, shove them everywhere. Yeah, I have the but, same uh, way. I have the same thing in my. I have them in my truck. I have them at home. I have them at my backpack. Yeah. You know, just you never know. I bet you we could stitch enough of these food bags together to make a blanket if we had yeah. to. <laughs> that sounds like a different show for another day. Yeah. But uh, the cool thing about the Mylar bags is they they do allow a minimal amount of expansion of the gas outward, but don't allow anything in. When we put our oxygen-absorbing packets in there, we put a packet in that can absorb twice the amount of oxygen that the bag needs so that when you get your bag and you open it, you'll take the oxygen absorber out and you're going to feel it heating up because that oxygen absorber is actually like iron filings. They're, they're food-grade. Um, basically, that packet is rusting and it's transforming all of the oxygen that's inside that bag into carbon dioxide, which isn't going to hurt the food anymore. And that's what preserves it without adding any chemicals. So that got nerdy really fast. Oh, okay. Well, that, yeah, that, that's interesting right there. I would never have known that, you know, so that's good that you shared that. That's cool. Uh, so what would you say kind of, you know, it, we, we're talking about using Mylar bags and in cans. Like, kind of what are the what are the, the cons of using a Mylar bag compared to uh, mm-hmm. cons for, the, for, uh, for canning and for, like, drawing? Yeah. So, um... A couple things. I, I, you know, I have dehydrated food that I have vacuum sealed in mason jars, right? I do some of my flour and sugar and stuff like that right. that I'm not going to bag up. Um, that's going to have a leak over time, right? Mm-hmm. The cans are pretty solid uh, as far as preserving freeze-dried food in a number 10 can. They're pretty solid. They just suck to put in a backpack and a go bag. Oh yeah, yeah. Just the yeah. bulkiness, the heaviness of it. They might break. Yeah. things like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, and once you open up a five-serving entree pouch of a Mylar bag, you're going to eat two servings yourself, two and a half servings, and then you're going to somebody else gonna eat. So you might get three people out of that bag, or that's probably one meal. So a lot of times you just make the whole thing. Mm-hmm. When you open up a number ten can, like I said, we only get. We only get 15 minutes from the time that that food comes out of that freeze dryer to bulk pack it. And then once it and that's sealed into a giant Mylar bag. And then we only get 15 minutes when that bulk bag is open to get it into all the pouches and get the oxygen absorbers in. Because what happens when you open the bag up, the, even the Valley food bag, the, the Mylar bag, is I now have 
you know, typically days to weeks after that bag's open um, before the nutritionist starts to deteriorate. The food's mm-hmm. still good. Right. You're not going to get any bacteria in there that's going to become a, 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 an illness issue. But the amount of um, value of the micronutrients can begin to deplete uh, over time. Now, I have some stuff that's on the shelf, and you guys probably have some too, where you've opened it up and you've set it there. And a month later, you're still eating it. It's fine. Mm-hmm. And I, I get that. I can't tell you to do that. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, yeah. but, um, but when I open up a number 10 can, I've got a lot more servings and it sits for a lot longer without oxygen, with oxygen now inside of it. So you do get a deterioration of those micronutrients over time greater in the number 10 can, um, just, just for what it's worth. Um, for heat and cold tolerance, that's the other one I would just point out. Whenever you superheat any kind of food, I don't care how you preserved it. I don't care if it's in a Mylar bag or a number 10 can. If you leave it in your truck in Arizona and it gets to be 130 degrees out, you're going to start to lose nutrients. They're going to, they're going to bake. You know, that's mm-hmm. why, why when we do jarring, when we do heat jarring and we jar like our tomato sauce and stuff like that, you're only going to get out 70, 80% of the nutrients after that jarring happens because of the temperature you have to take that to. Um, you know, same with any kind of canned food you buy at the store, you got a canned green beans or whatever, uh, they have to heat that up to get it to can properly. And that to makes sense. It. My dad does a lot of canning every year. He'll do, you know, yeah. he has a garden. He does the, you know, the main the staples, tomatoes, uh, green beans, uh, berries, things like that. And, uh, even the cans meat too, but you know, it's a, That's it's cool. a whole process where you put it in there and you wait for that pop on that lid. And you, yeah. know, and you know, it's a seal. So you take it out. So within that process, you're saying, you know, it's getting heated up. So it's losing some of those nutrients while, while exactly. it's cooking. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine a fresh pepper that you bite into. Um, and I'm the kind of guy I'll eat a fresh pepper off the vine, oh, like delicious. a yellow pepper <laughs> or oh, tomato yeah. or whatever yep. compared to one that you put into a sauce. It's still delicious. It still tastes very good, mm-hmm. but you can see the colors changed and you can understand if you tested those things, your micronutrients would deplete because the heat begins to break them down in a negative way. So anytime you superheat or super cool, any kind of food is going to be bad. The only difference between the Mylar doesn't leach anything. So if you had a truck bag and you're like, yeah, I'm just going to leave some in my truck for the heck of it. And you get some of our like pomegranate milk, milk bites, which are one of my kids' favorite snacks that take to school. But you get some of those and they're like, they're no cook. You just pop in your mouth, eat them. Um, and you leave those in there Oh, heat, cool, heat, cool. You know, summer where I live, I live in the Midwest. I've got, it's going to, it's 35 degrees out right now. It's going to snow this week. And two weeks ago it was 80 degrees. So, you know, it messes with our food all the time in my truck. And you're up but, in, up in Ohio, right? Yeah. We're up yeah. in Ohio. Yep. Yeah, it's so, cold up there right now. Oof. Yeah. It gets chilly fast, yeah. but anytime, doesn't matter what you have, the Mylar bags won't leach anything into it. Um, that's the only reason I don't store a ton of number 10 cans. I do have some, but Mm -hmm. I don't store a ton of them is because if you, if you don't store them at the right temperature, you, those metals will begin to affect the food taste quality. Um, you know, it's not, and it's not probably what you want. Mm -hmm. Uh, so those are the big, big ones I would point out right away is just mobility of the food, um, size and deterioration once it opens and then just the heating and cooling, uh, flavor changes that happen along the way. So what would you look for kind of, we talked about macronutrients, micronutrients, what kind of uh, micronutrients like should you look for in food storage? Yeah, I, I, the big ones I always look for, I would start with um, iron, right? Um, iron is 
uh, is the main thing we need in hemoglobin. Hemoglobin is the thing that carries the oxygenated uh, blood to the muscles. Uh, without oxygenated blood in the muscle, we talk about the rules of three, right? With without oxygenated blood in your in your body after three minutes, you can go. You, you, you're toast. So hemoglobin is what's going to allow you to do the fight and flight mentality. Uh, that when those hormones kick in and start pushing oxygen to the blood, you need to be able to produce that. So you're not going to be able to do what you need to in extreme situations. They also support neurotransmitters. So the, to be at your peak performance, you need the right balance of iron in your system. So you're looking for things like legumes, anything that comes in a pod, right? Mm -hmm. Beans, soy, uh, those are all things that are going to keep it. So you'll see in our entrees, we mix a lot of beans into a lot of different things because of that. We don't sell beans because beans are cheap at your store, right? And right, right. Beans, oh, yeah. And a bag of dehydrated beans can last you 10 years without, as long as you store it, right? So we're, we're, we're not going to try to dupe people into paying air freight and super cute packaging for beans they can buy in their local store. But we are going to mix it into the entrees because it is an essential micronutrient. Like uh, folate. Folate's another one. Folate regenerates cells. So as your cells are kind of dying off, we need to cycle in new ones. You'll see folate in baby formulas and stuff like that because it's what helps to regenerate cells when you're out in the wilderness camping or doing things like that you need that increase of folate because the wind is burning away cells you're burning through them and charring them you're near higher temperatures campfires things like that mm -hmm. so asparagus eggs bananas those are things um legumes again are, are all things that are going to help you with that um I, you got to think about your health so zinc is a big one for me uh, you want to fight off viruses and bacteria. Everybody has heard, you know, take the zinc tablets when you get a cold, but you can do it ahead of time. So looking for those meats and, and legumes, the dairies, the eggs, whole grains, potatoes, those are things that you want to be able to have to get um, zinc. The other two big ones that I would point out would be iodine. Iodine, uh, we, iodine controls the thyroid, right? It makes sure that we're able to absorb and metabolize effectively all the other micronutrients. And the way that we mostly get iodine is through salt, iodinized salt or sodium. So we get a lot of people who call in or write us and say, hey, some of your food is kind of high in sodium. And they're right. We've got two different kind of types of food. You'll read the labels and you'll see that we have food that is higher in sodium. And we have food that's about half as much sodium. But the reason for that is really about activity level. Sodium is one of those things that you're, you're, you sweat out as you go, right? right? And so if you're a computer programmer, and you now need to go chop wood, you're going to be sweating a ton more than your body's used to. And you're going to be just dumping out sweat, and I'm going to need a full amount of sodium in my food in order to get that, in order to function correctly. If I chop wood for a living, and next thing I know, I'm going to go do a sedentary bug out to a place where I'm going to sit by a campfire, I don't need that much sodium. In fact, I'll wreck my thyroid if I take in that much sodium. So you have to plan on who you are, Every meal plan is specific to the person, to the people that are part of it, and understanding the micronutrients that you need, like a magnesium. Magnesium is one that when I'm building a food kit for someone who's diabetic or pre-diabetic, uh, that's one I have to pay close atten attention to. Looking at whole grains, looking at bananas, looking at legumes, making sure they've got the balance of those things because that magnesium is what's going to help with glucose consumption. And when you're throwing a ton of carbohydrates at somebody, your body translates that into glucose and can overpower someone that has a dietary restriction like diabetes or prediabetes. Mm -hmm. So would, are you guys kind of, does it, does it, like your company, do you look kind of like evolving 
those dietary restrictions and like people who are on like keto, paleo, uh, like the primal uh, yeah. diets, like how do you guys, like what's your kind of like your, your planning process to kind of come together and be like, okay, we have to evolve. We have to, you know, make these meals and, and be more uh, cognizant of what we put in them and then what people are putting in their body. Yeah. And, and, and it, absolutely, man, spot on. Like I, I'm a more paleo guy myself. That's more my kind of, uh, side of living. And, um, but I have people even in, within my food plan in my extended family who are vegan, who don't want any meat in their stuff. So as we build a food plan, you got to build it for everybody. So we have some buckets out there call them buckets or kits right. that are um, kind of meat only where you can just buy a giant bucket of meat, you know, sausages and steak and things like that and mix it all together and, um, and have that. You can supplement your food with that additional, um, additional types of food. So you can do a high protein, high fat kind of keto friendly um, diet where you're going to get a lower carbohydrate, lower sugar intake to be able to accommodate that. So we have some products, especially around that keto side, it tends to be a very popular one right now where you're going to find it. But we also have people who call in and go, I need vegetarian options for, uh, for prepping and we're able to accommodate those and set those up as well too for them. Interesting. I, and then to, to kind of circle back on that serving sizes, cause you kind of like, you know, I, I look at the bag that I, you know, the, the samples I got, I'm like, Oh, I can eat this whole bag. But then when you think about it, you're like, Oh, let me see what's in it. And it has like, you know, we talk about high soot. Like if I would ate this whole bag of the, uh, the uh, Irish pub cheddar potato soup. Uh, yeah. That is like so much sodium. And I think people don't realize they have to break it down and, 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 uh, and incorporate different things like, you know, like your, your canning. So you have vegetables on the side. So it kind of, kind of balances out all the, like the, the freeze dried food and you have a kind of some fresh food in there and then you, you mix it in with, you know, if you're dehydrating food, things like that, is that kind of like where the industry is going, like evolving when we talk about dietary restrictions and things like that? Yeah, amen, man. That's exactly where our head is at at the game, and I think other people are, are going to catch on to that too soon. But I, where we're going with it is, yes, we have an entree, but it doesn't stop you from go grabbing a salad from you know your garden outside, right. or cutting up some fresh tomatoes, or supplementing it with some uh, some additional pieces that are out there to kind of piece it all together. So yeah, maybe you've got your your wheat at home and you're going to go make biscuits to go with the pub cheddar soup or cornbread, right. Uh, to go with the chili. Um, you're going to augment those things to build what is a meal. I, I like to say, store the kind of food you, you want to eat. Um, don't plan on the day that crap happens and you need to dive into it. Then all of a sudden you need to change everything. Right. You know, I, I try to serve my kids Valley food at least one day a week. We have it as a dinner. Um, um, for them or we'll have it as a breakfast and they eat it all the time. If, if stuff goes south, um, it's not going to affect them. I mean, when you buy one of the one month kits, I mean, you're serving, you're under a buck 50 a serving. Mm -hmm. So it's not like I'm breaking the bank, even with the best science on earth and the most expensive way to preserve food there is still under a buck and a half a serving. So it's not like it's crazy right 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 yeah and that's kind of like to talk about like you give, give your kids so they have that so they're not eat it for the first time they're like oh i don't think this is good or something like that that's kind of what i did when i was in the military i would have you know extra mres mm -hmm. and stuff like that and i would share them with my kids i would share them with my family just so hey you know just in case if everything goes south this is what we're going to be eating sometimes so you got to get used to it because this is only, this is maybe <laughs> the only thing you're eating so i i, I think it's a smart uh you know, a smart tactic to use like within your family. So that's like, okay, 
we're eating uh, the Valley. Okay, Valley Food Stores tonight it is. You know, just to get used to it, and yeah. I, I think that's smart. Well, and then you, then you know what they want. Your, your kids will vote with their plates, right? Yep. If you look down at the plate and the, the Alfredo is not gone, then, all right, that wasn't the favorite one. So if, if it's gone, go buy a case of it, right? And you, that way you know it's, all, it's tucked away, and I've got dozens of meals, and I know they're going to eat it. So that's a great way to start to build your plan. Yeah, as long as you have the uh, freeze-dried chicken nuggets and macaroni and cheese, I think everyone's <laughs> favorite kid, every kid's favorite meal. <laughs> I, I can cover you on the mac and cheese. We haven't gotten the chicken nuggets down yet, though. <laughs> so, so kind of like when you guys come up with new recipes or menus, like kind of what's like kind of the thought process and like how do you look at it, like kind of to diversify your menus? Like, what are do you guys try to come up with different? Uh, recipes throughout the year or do you kind of have that one staple and you kind of improve on it every time it's a little bit of both uh, i think you know like i said we we've grown the company here over the last 18 months we've reevaluated each of the foods that are in there to continue to improve on them continue to add more of the micronutrients and reduce anything that we don't need in there just get just get rid of it right mm-hmm. um but at the same time we're rolling out new stuff because we have we have plans like many folks do where you can get, Hey, I just want a, I want a week of food delivered to me each month. And I want to be on a plan, just auto deduct it and ship it to me. I'm going to build my food over time without thinking about it. Well, that person is going to want to continue to try new things. And so where I think we have an edge in the market is we're nimble enough and small enough still where we can continue to grow, but we're big enough where we can still buy and and package multiple pallets of that food so we don't run out. So we kind of like where we're at as far as in the space today because we can grow those things. When we look at them, we're building them based upon really customer feedback. We've got a full phone center. We've got uh, people who watch our chat and respond to people on there. We've got uh, uh, you know people who can respond and help you build bigger custom orders. All those things are possible things. We don't have a whole room full of them because there's a lot of overhead, but we've got enough that you can call and you're going to get somebody mm-hmm. and they're going to help you out with it. Um, but when they call in, we take a lot of notes and we do a lot of research on that. and We understand what are the gaps that people have in their food storage needs today. And then we just work to fill those in a way that's going to be the healthiest way possible because that's kind of our take on the market is – it's got to be more than just carbohydrates and sodium, right? Um, there's got to be more to it. Exactly. And do you, like, where do you guys source your food from? Do you guys have um, uh, different farms throughout the, the region, or is it kind of, do you use, like, a local farm to uh, source all your food? Yeah, we, use, we, use, we have a couple different supply channels that we go through. All of those are all grown and packaged in the United States, so we don't get anything from – we're not getting broccoli from Chile or corn mm-hmm. from Mexico or anything like that. Um, so there are times of the year where some of the, it's it's, a, it's it's America, right? It's seasonal. There's some times when right. you just can't get something. So there are times where we have to rotate in new uh, new things because our lines of of, of getting food are gonna gonna dry up. Much like everybody else who if you go to the grocery store and all of a sudden all the tomatoes are coming in from Argentina. Um, we're going to have, we're going to have our, our supply of tomatoes for the year probably wrapped up at that point so that, mm-hmm. uh, we don't have to source them outside if that helps. Yeah. Right. So do you, you got, I mean, when you guys build your, your, when you guys sell your food buckets, do you have like a breakfast bucket? Like what come what are some of the varieties that, uh, customers can get into and, and, and purchase? Yeah. If, you, if you're go to our website, if you go to valleyfoodstorage.com, you're going to see 
at the top right away, long-term food storage. And when I think of long-term food storage, I think about one month and up. And it's really broken down into two varieties. That's that basic and premium. Basic is for people who already have, uh, already have food stored and want to augment their food with some freeze-dried food that's going to last 25 years and only to cycle through, right? Um, the premium kit is for people who just want to buy something. I'm in an apartment in Manhattan and it, there's a chance with everything going on that I might just need to stay on the seventh floor of my apartment for a week and not go outside because there might be riots in the street. And I, don't, I can't grow crap and I don't can. I just want it all delivered. So that's the kind of the difference between the basic and the premium stuff that's out there. If you get into some of our additional kits that are out there, you're going to find that there are specific ones for, uh, for breakfast, for um, entrees and, and so on to be able to kind of uh, fit, fit the bill for what you need. So when we, and then, so we talk, you know, we have, we have, we have canning, we have the freeze dried and then kind of what, what are your thoughts on like dehydrating or smoking, uh, like meats or any and the food that can be dehydrated and smoked? Yeah. Um, I think I, so meats, meats have been smoked for as long as people have been people on the earth, right? Hanging them over a campfire, letting it go. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, Early indigenous peoples had, have been doing that for long before we figured it out. So uh, that's a great way to preserve food. We found great ways to do it. The downside to the two methods for preserving meat and dehydrating, original dehydration was done by hanging, right? Mm-hmm. And then allowing, usually, even if you're just doing pasta, I want to dehydrate pasta. I make my own fresh pasta. I hang it over, it could be a broomstick. It doesn't matter what it is. I hang it over something. It takes about three days to dehydrate all the way out in the nice sun. And then I bag it up, and, and it's good for, for a, a couple months. Uh, fresh pasta, a couple days, mm-hmm. right? But if I really dehydrate it, then I'm okay. Um, when I get into those things, I'm exposing the food to bacteria for a period of time, and that's where we get into a little bit of trouble on the uh, on microbes and things like that. We just want to be very careful in what situation we're doing it. It's cool if they do it at a, a facility that's uh, – FDA facility and it's clean and all that stuff. Just if you're doing your own stuff, just be very, very cognizant on how you're dehydrating because we do see people who get sick from dehydrating their own stuff. When you dehydrate it too, you're, you're condensing it. You're, um, you're making any bacteria in there as you dry it out, uh, a higher percentage of what's left. If that makes sense. Um, you're making a concentration of it. Mm-hmm. So uh, just b- make sure you understand kind of how that whole process works. The smoking side, like I said, I love smoking. I would not like to see any kind of, there's no world I would fight to live in that doesn't have bacon in it. Oh. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so uh, for me, I need to have it. But I also understand the chemical changes that happen in the wood when I smoke begin to release uh, formaldehyde into the food. And in small quantities, for. Small quantities from how that formaldehyde is not going to hurt you. Large quantities is not great. I mean, it's, just, it's what they use in embalming fluid, right? It's mm-hmm. a great preservative. It is the chemical within smoking that preserves the food, stops it from deteriorating. Uh, but it is also what we preserve, uh, you know, embalm people with as well right. too, right? So everything in moderation, I guess, is where I'm going with it. I think there's a play in it. There's a play in my plan in it for sure. Uh, but just understand if all you do is eat smoked food there's some negative consequences. That's those are known carcinogens long term and it's not great. And then I think a lot of one of the things you get it's like over smoking, then you get that the flavors, it's like that bitter Oh yeah. 
I right. mean, I remember I started out like, you know, I started out when I started out like barbecuing and I got really serious into it and like doing, mm -hmm. you know, I'd take a rack of ribs and do like the indirect cook, offset the charcoal. And then, you know, you add your smoke. And as a, when I was a beginning person mm -hmm. doing it, I would over smoke it for some reason thinking like, oh, it needs this smoke, needs more smoke. And there's <laughs> only, and I would have my food and I would eat, I would just, it'd be the worst. And I'm sitting there and just like the stuffing it down saying, mm, this is good, you know, cause I made it and I wanted to, you know, but the whole time I'm, I was just, oh, the, the aftertaste of that smokiness. So it's like, and then I'd start doing my research and find out like, Hey, there's only a certain window that that meat is going to take in that flavor until it actually over, uh, you can over smoke and it has that real bitter, bitter burnt taste. So it's, it's mm -hmm. a fine line between like when you start, if you're thinking about doing your uh, smoking and food storage and, and food prep, there's a lot of research that goes into it. I mean, just to get the right temperature, the right smoke, the right, you know, amount of time it takes to break down those, uh, the muscle fibers and to make it tender. So it's, it's good to eat yep. and it's easy to eat. You know, you don't want to be chewing on something and break a tooth or something like that. So that's just, I think one thing people need to yeah. take in consideration. Hey man, the upside of smoking is you can keep some of those temp the temperatures down under like 250, um, which at a low and slow is oh, going to yeah. retain more of those micronutrients too, right? We mm -hmm. didn't just take all the good um, iron out of the meat and stuff. We left it in there because we took it low and slow, and that that's a great way um, to preserve some of those nutrients too. Yeah, yeah. I think even like in, in the dehydration processes. You talk about you know you're you're getting at getting those uh, the the moisture out of it, but I think sometimes mm -hmm. people maybe maybe using a too thick cut of meat and it's still moist in there. So when you go to uh, prep it for storage, it's going to have that moisture, so that bacteria may get in there and, and just ruin the the taste, and you can't eat it. Exactly. Well, and think about high moisture foods like we love sun dried tomatoes or even like apples, mm -hmm. things like that. When you take a, a high moisture food and try to dehydrate it. Um, you, you really got it. You're really killing that thing. Oh yeah. You <laughs> to get it, all the moisture oh, out, yeah. you know? You take it like, it, it's it basically, you take it from like 10 times the size down to like that one, like, and just, it looks nothing like the food that it started out with. Yeah. It's like, what I'll, is this? I'll send you a bag of pineapples when, when we're done here, uh, the, they're freeze dried cause they're frozen. They're not, they're frozen. They're frozen <laughs> at room temperature. It still blows my mind and just throw them in a cup of warm water for five minutes and try them. And uh, you make a pineapple upside down cake with it, you'll oh, never know. But amazing. but yeah, but that that's uh, you know you gotta try it. It's it it is it's crazy. It blows my mind the science of it. I that's why I get it's more expensive um, to do it. But there's some benefits to the taste and benefits to how long you get to keep it. That right. in my opinion, make it part of a a food plan. Yeah, and, and it's interesting like how much technology goes into just like freeze drying a, a piece of a piece of food you know what i mean mm -hmm. it's something that's it's science i mean it's just like the science behind it and the way it breaks down it's it's kind of it's it's cool it's like like you know you're like looking into the future of like food storage and food prep it is. and things like that so and, and you can buy a freeze dryer yeah you could buy a freeze dryer. i mean they're about 2500 bucks to five thousand dollars you could buy a freeze dryer and ones of those size, the home ones, the people who have them, I think love them. But my two cents on it would be before you do it, get yourself a little spreadsheet and run down, um, all right, what foods do I have available to me? You probably only have like six or eight things in your garden that you can freeze dry. Mm -hmm. um, and so if you want to end up with, hey, I want to make that bag of chicken teriyaki. You're like, all right, cool. Well, now I need to go get, I need to raise chickens. I need to grow pineapples. I need soy sauce. 
right? I need all, right. all the different elements that go into it. And now I've got to take those and freeze dry those. It takes about 36 hours to freeze dry one oven full of freeze dried food. That's like three trays, three oven trays. Um, it takes me like, you know, a day and a half to get through that. And that's just for three trays full of stuff. So when you run the numbers on it, if unless you are going to somehow make a boutique kind of you're, you're prepping for a group of people and you need like a lot of food, and you're going to do it over years. That's a great reason to buy one. Mm-hmm. If, if you're kind of storing on your own, if you add up what it costs to buy all the ingredients and buy the freeze dryer and the amount of time it takes, it, it's, it, it, I've never found it to work out to say, yeah, I should just buy a freeze dryer. Right. Um, so you got to really be into doing a lot of it right. for yourself. And, and you kind of like, if to get in the mindset, I mean, if you look at your, your food storage and your plan, it's kind of good to have like a network of people that you can like kind of have that community type thing. So we're, if I want to mm-hmm. like say my family, okay, we're in charge of doing the, we're in charge of prepping this, this amount of food and this type of food. And you have like your friend across the street who is same like-minded, you know, you do this and we'll do this and we'll combine all of our stuff. So, you know, mm-hmm. in a perfect world, it just makes sense to have that community thing. So, so we leave, oh, great. all the, you know, the, the hassle of, Oh, I got to prep all this food for my family. And then, well, what about my, my friend down the street? I know he food preps, but I don't know, you know, kind of get on that same plan. Mm-hmm. of that. And Absolutely. Then, and then another thing I think people don't realize is like how we uh, were so dependent on grocery stores. Like, mm-hmm. and, I'm, and I'm guilty of it sometimes too. I mean, I look in the house, I'm like, I have no food. Like if something goes wrong, I may have a week, maybe I don't have months. And then you look at it, you're like, I have to go to the, the, the grocery store now and, and depend on that when I could have been the whole time prepping and canning and, and just growing a small garden or mm-hmm. developing my, my, you know, Valley food stores, buckets and things like that. And kind of operating on, okay, so we're going to have this amount, like you said, 10% of this, 10% of that, and, and just have a plan for your family. And then if we're looking at like a family of four, um, like what, what would you recommend for the food I need to buy? Like, uh, the Valley Valley food storage buckets, like yeah. a family of four, what do I need? I mean, I, you can start as small as say a 72 hour kit for one person is under 50 bucks. Right. Um, so now you at least got something there. And, mm-hmm. and for a family, family of four, that's at least going to give you a day worth of uh, crap, you know, depending on where you're at. For me, mm-hmm. it's snow took ice, snow and ice took down the power lines and it's cold outside and I really don't want to go anywhere. This is me being lazy. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go, all right, well, I got that. Let's eat it. I'll order another one. It'll be here in three days. Um, you know, that, so for me, it's easy to go. My laziness is going to make me dive in and test my prep. Uh, but there are also, also, also times when the roads are literally closed. It's a sheet of ice and nobody's getting anywhere and I cannot get to the store. Well, now I need multiple days worth, right? And I think it's all about what are the disasters in your area? And like I said, I would always try to build, I know it sounds crazy, have, have a month worth of food on hand for your family, but think about that being an insurance policy. You pay for insurance for your house every month. Mm-hmm. Uh, you probably, probably pay for insurance for a car. You probably pay for insurance for health. And it, it's kind of your in case crap happens, right? So if you pay for insurance for food, it's not like you're not going to use it. You may never use the medical insurance. You may never use the home insurance. You may never use the car insurance. You're going to use the food insurance because you can eat it. We have to eat. Right. Oh, exactly. Yeah. 
So as a family of four, just start building somewhere. If you can, if you can do a hey once a month, send me one one person one week worth of food. Mm-hmm. Just set it set it up and make it part of your plan, and, and it shows up. And then you shut it off when you want to shut it off. But in the meantime, uh, you've you've got a basis that you can start to build from. And if at some point you get a, an emergency room visit for your kid that is twelve hundred bucks, and you're like, well, crap, I didn't expect that. We don't need to eat out for the next month. You can eat the food you have here, pay the medical bill without worrying about it, right. and your grocery bill comes down to zero for a week or two. Mm-hmm. You know. So, kind of closing out, what what what's your top five meals that you would recommend for someone if they just wanted to buy the ones and twos? What's kind of like the top five best tasting? Uh, okay, so storage? I'll give you a couple in a couple of different categories. Um, Probably you said the Irish pub cheddar and I sent that one on purpose because it's one of my favorites. It is a higher fat, higher sodium uh, one that's out there, but it is if, if you want to have just a nice indulgent, delicious meal, mm. that's a really good one um, with toast and cheese. I love our tomato basil soup. I just make a little toast and cheese with it. And I dip it in there. Uh, kind of reminds me when I was a kid, but Hey, that's me. Uh, my, my, my kids eat the Mac and cheese all the time. That's the one that they're always always asking for uh on the breakfast side um the apple oatmeal is one that i tend to eat the most uh that it's just i i'm a i'm a apple guy we live in ohio we got a ton of apple stuff up here but that's one that i like and maybe my favorite of the breakfast food is the multi-grain cereal one which i had no idea what that meant uh when i started like multi-grains not it's very indescriptive but it's a bunch of ancient grains kind of together and it's like a really awesome bowl of like oatmeal cream of wheat when it's all put together um the one that i cannot keep at home anymore because my children steal it is the freeze-dried pomegranate yogurt bites uh those and they steal it on purpose because it, it has a little bit of higher sugar content than some of the other ones. It tastes so good, uh, but it's made from uh, yogurt as well too, which is a, I'm actually okay. It's a high protein. Nice. So where can we find where, where if someone wants to get Valley Food Stores, where's where's a what's a good uh, uh, website to go to? Yeah, I mean you should go to ValleyFoodStorage.com. If you go to ValleyFoodStorage.com, um, we've got it set up. If you, it'll ask you for your email. If you Give your email. You get 10% off right now. That'll add you to the mailing list. And um, I think right now the 72-hour kits are discounted on the website as we kind of go through everything that's going on in California right now and whatnot. Those mm-hmm. are normally – I think the premium one's like 80 bucks and it's on sale for 50 And the basic one is usually like 70 bucks and it's on sale for 40 So we're just trying to keep things as cost-effective as we can while we're uh, – everybody's kind of in a, in a little bit of a, a – uh, issue right now kind of they're all all heading out to wherever they're going right. to get out of the fire rail rum of the fire here um but yeah i would i would take a look at those and then once you're on the list black friday sales are coming up and uh, we will give we always give the biggest um incentive of the year to our mailing list uh usually about two weeks before black friday which is maybe a week away oh uh, but if, if my math is close uh, we're we getting close there Oh no! Well, I what is it? It's like the week, the Friday before Thanksgiving or something like that. Yeah, or Friday before like Thanksgiving. That. Yeah, Friday, so. Friday after Thanksgiving. Yeah. I try to stay away from that Black Friday. It, it's just <laughs> it's it's pandemonium at, at places. It is. 
So. We, we try to we try to put ours out. It's online. You know, all the sales are online only. But um, you, you go online, and uh, usually about a week before Black Friday, you'll get some notifications coming up to let you know when the best sales of the year are. So I would always keep my nice. eyes out for that too. But right now, if I were you, I would look at the seventy-two hour, uh, you know, kits. The premium one, especially for under fifty bucks, is about the best best deal out there you're going to get. Oh, and that's then nice. try that food, and then in about a, a week or two, you'll get the Black Friday sale. And I would jump on that, use your 10% discount, and buy a one-week or one-month kit, and then you're in the game. Oh, cool, cool. All right, Joe. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you for your time and just kind of educating myself and hopefully the listeners about you know food, food storage, uh, freeze-dry, uh, dehydration, canning. We covered it all here uh, on food storage and food prep. So I appreciate your time, and uh, I want to just thank you for uh, being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having us on. We appreciate it. All right, everybody, that was it for the this episode. Remember, stay alert, stay alive. Mm-hmm.